Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me, as always, this week is science expert, Sari Riley. Sari, did you know that a cup of coffee has as much caffeine as four Coca-Colas? No, I did not know that. But that feels like quite a bit of caffeine. Yeah, which tracks for me, because sometimes people will be like, well, you say you can't drink coffee. You drink Cokes all the time. It's so you a don't quarter drink of four the- cokes at once. Yeah. yeah. Who drinks four cokes? Anyway, I'm trying to stop drinking cokes uh-huh. because there's just it's a ridiculous amount of pure table sugar to be putting into my body. But the problem with that is that I need the equivalent amount of caffeine, which is difficult to get other places. Mm-hmm. That's just a me problem. Hmm. How are you doing, Zary? Oh, I'm doing okay. I think I've thought more about caffeine in the past one minute than I have in the past Mm. year. I I don't use caffeine in any way. I just am tired all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to see caffeinated Sari. That seems like it would be a trip. I got this unsweetened tea at the store and that's twice as much caffeine as in a Coke. So I've I've drunk half of it and I'm going to try my very hardest, just pure (laughs) mental strength to not have the rest of it. 
We're also joined by Sam Schultz. Hello, Sam, our resident everyman. Hello. Here on SciShow Tangents, we get together. We try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. And we try to stay on topic while we're doing it. But sometimes I'll just rant about caffeine instead. Our panelists are playing for glory and for Hank Bucks, which we will be awarding as we play. And at the end of each episode... One of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sam. There once was a kangaroo from Perth who had quite a strange way to give birth. The baby (laughs) crawled out and up to her pouch, and once there grew in length and in girth. (laughs) There once was a wombat from Brisbane whose poop shape you might think would cause pain. He put his butt in the air and pooped out a square and said, now I have extra dice for my board game. Wow. Because <laughs> they're cute. Wow. <laughs> there once was a koala from Brisbane. Shit. I used Brisbane twice. You oh, just well. realized. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, no. <laughs> Who didn't have a very good brain. I can't even change it. He hung out in trees and ate poisonous leaves, but everyone loved him anyway. Hopefully everybody loves me anyway. Everybody loves you anyway. I can't. Uh, okay, one my more? last one. Okay, <laughs> so is it from birth? To pick from. No, this one's really different. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> In Kentucky, a possum did consider why she had to use a pouch to grow her litter. Her friends' kids all came out ready to run about, but hers looked like beans, so she was bitter. <laughs> 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 and our topic for the week is marsupials. And if I was a possum, I would be like, how on earth did I get stuck giving birth this very old fashioned way? Yeah. When all of the fair. people, all the squirrels and skunks and foxes and everything else just do a birth totally normal. Mine's a little <laughs> lot of bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, if you could write just. 30 marsupial poems, we could bind them up into a children's book. And okay, well, I'll have to tweak a couple of them. Yeah, maybe but- <laughs> that one koala one. So, uh, Sari, what is a marsupial? Well, I feel like I don't really need to do my job because you already <laughs> did it. They're, they're a type of mammals. It's a taxonomic grouping that's pretty well-defined of animals. We realized after we, we like sorted mammals into groups that we couldn't just use the, like, Class, order, phylum, etc. Mm-hmm. We needed to invent new layers to group sure, them sure. together because mm-hmm. there were too many differences between them. So they're in the infraclass Marsupialia, and they do what you said in your poem. They give birth to basically what we would consider premature babies, mm-hmm. but in marsupials, they're normal because their placenta doesn't last through the the term so they, of like they a other do mammal? have a placenta it just doesn't hmm. do the whole thing mm-hmm. oh i guess it's not a true placenta that's what okay. biologists like to put before they like to put true before a word if it means that it serves the full function mm-hmm. that we've observed hmm. but they have like a placenta like organ but doesn't allow for a long developmental period in the womb so marsupials give birth and then they're little bean babies, not to be confused with beanie babies, <laughs> crawl up or around or or through their fur to the pouch where they latch on and are protected while they develop a little bit more. Oh, life is so weird and wonderful and gooey and pink. <laughs> but we do know why they're called marsupials. It just means having a pouch from Latin marsupium, which means pouch or purse from the Greek Uh 
marsipion, which also means pouch or bag or purse. So they were like, look at those animals. They got a little pouch. And then they were called them bag animals. <laughs> Not very imaginative, but. Is there anything else that comes from that same root? I'm so, I so want to know, but no, and I'm not finding anything. So this, this word held on to do exactly one thing. Like we remembered marsipium or marsupium just long enough to be like, I found a bag animal. <laughs> Now I'm sure, as you all know, it is time for our first game. I am going to be subjecting you to a round of truth or fail. I have three science facts for you, and only one of them is true. They're all about marsupials, and you have to decide which one is the true fact. Not only are they all about marsupials, but they are all about marsupials evading parasites. Mm. So there are behaviors that are either innate or taught that can help animals avoid parasites, such as one of the following strategies employed by the red-necked wallaby. Which of these strategies is the one? Number one, wallabies have big feet, and those feet help them jump and thump around. And those big feet are also big targets for worms. And while many animals turn to grooming to get rid of potential parasites, wallabies take things one step further by combining their grooming habits with the art of dance. Wallabies <laughs> groom their feet by hopping into mud and then jumping out and thumping around on rocky ground. The combined mud and movement helps to clean and protect the wallaby feet from potential invaders. Or fact number two. Now, a good way to avoid gastrointestinal parasites is to try and steer clear of poop getting on you and then eventually from being on you into you. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's especially important when you're eating. But that is hard for many herbivores, and wallabies are no exception. You eat stuff that is on the ground. You have to eat a lot of it, and there's always poop all over the place. So instead, <laughs> wallabies are selective about the poop they will eat near. Mm. Wallabies have been observed preferentially eating near kangaroo poop over the poop of other wallabies, a strategy that allows them to avoid eating other wallaby-infected parasite species. So they're thinking, I guess, the kangaroo poop is less likely to have wallaby infectious agents in it. Or fact number three, just like we all learn behaviors to avoid getting sick, wallabies pass on certain lessons to their young. One important lesson is to avoid the berry of the Biardieria longifora which is, mm. I have no idea if I've done that right, which would be a wonderful treat for wallabies, except for the parasite that often infects them through the berry. Wallabies have a tool for helping newly independent youngsters avoid that plant, and that tool is vomit. Adult wallabies <laughs> will vomit near the berry plant, making it unappealing to their younger counterparts, training them to stay away. Mom. <laughs> Yeah, I need somebody to puke in my Coca-Cola so I stop <laughs> wanting it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> I just ate a lot of goldfish crackers, so be real orange. So we have we have dance out the parasites, picky poop evasion, or vomit training. Which is the fact that you think is the true fact? Here's my logic on this one. Mm -hmm. Foot parasite, I would think it would get inside your foot pretty fast, so you'd always have to be dancing uh, in the mud. False. Number one, false. <laughs> Number two. Wallaby can't dance that much. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Number two, if a wallaby can get it, then a kangaroo can get it and vice versa. So I think they could get sick with the same stuff. False. Out. That one's right out too. <laughs> yeah. The last one, 
That's funny. So I think it's true. Puke on those berries, mama. But I don't know. I'm going to listen to what Sari says first before I really decide. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought you were just going to go for it. Uh -uh. Um, I I think we have to adjust our feelings of gross to to animal feelings of gross. Because I I guess I don't know about mammals, but I don't like birds puke up food for their babies and go. Yeah, but that's food. But it's still like pukey a little bit i guess it doesn't have gastric acid or whatever in in it but i think you're right though i feel like mammals aren't too put off by other mammals puke or their own puke yeah they might be like oh there's some extra food over there i'm gonna go eat (laughs) my mom's puke and then eat the berries a berry seasoned (laughs) with my mother's puke the finest delight a delicacy. Uh-huh. Like dogs eat their own puke all the time. Yeah. They like puke Hell it up yeah. or like cats oh, do. Yeah. And then they look at waste. it and they're like, oh, food. <laughs> they eat it. <laughs> they're so dumb. Oh, um, shit. They're all wrong then. Yeah. So they're all false. That's all I wanted to prove is yeah. that they're all dumb. <laughs> Safe poop. I guess I don't know enough about interspecies parasites to, to logic my way through that one scientifically. As far as the dancy, the happy feet, I think they could probably create a protection with the mud, like a layer, like a shoe. Mm. That's what I imagine, at least, is mm-hmm. like they get they get the good stuff on there and then they pat it around. And then you're good. You're like set for a couple weeks. <laughs> so you don't need it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with, God, I'm going to go with the poop eating one. You poopy, convinced poopy, me. poop. Yeah. Mm. I, I hope I didn't convince us both out of the correct one, which is... Uh, but I'm going to go with the, the mud dancing. Sam Schultz is a winner! <laughs> Scientists from the University of Melbourne published a, a whole study, and it did a bunch of a bunch of research on Wallaby's fecal aversion dining choices. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the things that they did is they uh, put, you know, wallaby poop around a bunch of food, and they put kangaroo poop, and they were five times more likely to choose the kangaroo poop food than the wallaby poop food. Another thing they did is that they fed wallaby meat to dogs no. and then scattered oh. that poop around oh. and the wallabies would also avoid that that poop, the poop what that the contained fuck? their their own, the flesh Corpses? of their uh, loved ones. What a horrible experiment they did. Whereas dancing, Sari, I'm sorry, they do thump their feet on the ground to warn each other about predators and it's cute, but they do mm-hmm. not. As far as we know, dance uh, at all, and if they do, it has nothing to do with parasites. And finally, mm-hmm. the vomit one is is based on a really interesting fact. Some uh, car- carnivorous marsupials would eat these uh, cane toads, and that was very bad for them. And so they had to teach them to not eat these cane toads, and they did that by making sausage <laughs> out of... Wait, who's they? People? Like humans? Humans, humans. yeah, okay. scientists. So, And they did that by making a toad sausage laced with nausea-inducing chemicals. And the sausages were successful in getting some of these, uh, they're called quolls, to stop eating the toads. But I don't know if that helped them avoid the pop, the, like the toad population overall. And scientists have been exploring other strategies to get quolls to stop eating cane toads, including yeah. breeding quolls that don't like eating the toads. Wait, are cane toads invasive? Did you say that? I think that they are invasive, and that, okay. that but they are just... Uh, not healthy for them to eat. That makes more sense why they'd be so concerned about these guys that they were making them sausages. But otherwise, yeah. it seems like a lot of trouble to go to. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like, just let it eat. Just let it, <laughs> it it's going to learn somehow. <laughs> 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 the hogs are bad. But I guess if we're, 
if we helped introduce the invasive species somehow, then yeah, yeah. probably fix that and yeah. give them their sausages. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the cane toads are poisonous to the quolls. And I have to say, I don't know if I'm saying quoll right, but if you just Google Q-U-O-L-L, you will find an animal that maybe you have never seen before, but you should because they're cute. So now we are headed into our break with Sam leading Sari one point to none. After we're back, it'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora... Ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. 
from Manacora. If you head to Manacora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. All right, everybody, welcome back. Sam and Sari have both prepared a science fact in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented their facts, I will judge and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Here it is. The wombat is a nocturnal Australian marsupial. We've just talked about them. It's famous for being adorable and for producing cubic poops. An adult wombat can defecate between 80 to 100 boxy turds in a single night. What is the high end of how many poop dice a wombat will roll out in a single bowel movement? I think five. It, a clean Yahtzee of poop. <laughs> that seems like a lot of pooping. Just think about like your bowel movements. You don't get okay. a lot of pieces of poop with, <laughs> with one, maybe. I don't know. You don't actually know anything about me. So. No, I, mean, I don't. Was- <laughs> <laughs> But also, just think about your bowel movements. Don't you poop 40 <laughs> times a day or whatever? <laughs> not, not that many, but... Yeah, well, I'm not a wombat, but just like thinking about... I guess there's no comparison. I, that was my logic to get to five. Uh-huh. Um, Sarah's logic was, how many times a day do I poop? About 20. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that I work from home, no one has to know. That's I could true. be pooping and podcasting at the same time. Oh, no. So they're either pooping slowly all day or a few times at once. I think mm-hmm. they probably, maybe they do like some weird thing and they do like one every time and they poop a hundred <laughs> times a day. That's too much. No, no, no. They do two every time and they poop, poop 50 times a day. They're just walking around. Poop, poop. That's my guess. <laughs> two. The answer is, and I'm sorry that I gave everybody such a hard time about this. Eight is the upper range for oh. the number of boxy turds, but it's four, yeah. to, four to eight boxes per bowel movement. That's a lot That's of right in that, that perfect <laughs> poop zone. <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll go first. All this episode, we've been talking about existing species of marsupials. There mm-hmm. are hundreds scattered across South America and Australia, and then there's the lone Virginia opossum in North America. But 69-ish million years ago, it was a whole different story. A lot of late Cretaceous North American mammals were pediomyids, which are small to medium marsupials that have just kind of been lumped together in this category because we don't have much fossil evidence to work from, mostly their teeth. And according to paleobiologists, the the little cusps or pointy bits on mammalian teeth are pretty unique in size and shape and number for different species, so that's how we can tell that we're probably digging up marsupials. And in February 2019, a paper was published that announced the discovery of the northernmost marsupial species ever documented named Unua Comis hutchisoni. And I think before that point, we assumed Virginia opossums were the most cold-hardy marsupial of past or present. They trekked up to southern Canada, but not much further because it's too chilly and the food is too scarce. And the reason that marsupials ended up in Australia is because South America, Antarctica, and Australia continentally were close enough together and and joined even. So they just moved that way, moved south toward the warm. And then when the continents split apart, then they ended up where they are. 
But anyway, in the 1980s or so, we started flushing out the Arctic ecosystem that lived on what is now Alaska's North Slope with dinosaur fossil discoveries, from unique duck-billed dinosaurs to tyrannosaurids that haven't been found anywhere else in the world. And now we're adding mammals to that Arctic picture book. Very small mammals. Because you Hutchisoni was probably like a mouse-sized opossum, kind of, according to the tiny, like, sand-sized teeth and jawbones that paleobiologists painstakingly sifted out of river sediment and inspected under a microscope. They think that this marsupial probably ate insects, may have lived underground, but most curiously, it was adapted to survive through dark winters, like four months of darkness at temperatures of around... 42 degrees Fahrenheit or 6 degrees Celsius or below. And these are all speculations from the researchers, but they're important biologically because somehow a bunch of small marsupials survived the extinction of the dinosaurs and we don't know how they did it. So did they burrow to stay cozy and then that helped them survive the meteorite crash somehow before they migrated south? Or what other behavioral secrets might they hold? So even though dinosaurs are the flashy discoveries, we still have so much to learn about mammalian ancestors too. Boy, they were grain of sand size because they were that small? Yeah, that's like how small their teeth, teeth were. Just wow. like little, little. How do you even know to look that for that? That's what, it's a lot of sifting, Sam. They do a lot mm-hmm. of sifting. That's the main thing paleontologists do is sift. So yeah. I look and see a pile of sand and they look and see a pile of teeth, perhaps. Well, they see a pile of sand with maybe one tooth in there. Oh, and then no. they have to look closely under a microscope to tell whether it's rock or tooth. That's wild. You got to get some algorithms to do that for you. They just got undergrads and grad students, I think, for this paper. <laughs> That's what it said. Uh, it seemed like very tedious uh, uh, and a lot yeah. of people came together. Mm-hmm. Sam, what's you, what, what you got for me? Hey, so marsupials are already pretty weird, but there's one particular species in Australia that seems to be engaged in an evolutionary arms race that could be described as sexually assured destruction. This is the horny one! I saw it and I was like, no, I don't want to talk about this. (laughs) But Sam, no such thing. The antichinus is a little marsupial approximately the size and appearance of a mouse. Basically, just picture a mouse, and that's what you're what you're looking at. Uh, it lives mostly in eastern Australia, and mm-hmm. it basically screwed up royally while evolving and also has terrible luck. So Antichinus populations that live in the same area have synchronized mating seasons of mm-hmm. just, like, two weeks, basically. Mm-hmm. So the mating seasons coincide with the availability of the insects that they eat, which are really plentiful just during, like, a very short amount of time where they live but are super scarce otherwise. And each female can only have one litter per mating season because their babies have to be in their pouches for four months. So basically, the females need to have their babies at exactly the right time to have enough food to feed them for the four months. So they're working with like a very strict timeline. So what this means, though, for the males is that they have to run around for a few weeks every mating season and find as many females to mate with as they possibly can to up their chances of actually having offspring. And each mating session can take up to 14 hours. But I couldn't figure out why it took so long. It just does. And also on top of that, since females mate with lots of males every mating season, males with more testosterone had a big advantage. So over the course of time, antichinus with 
really high testosterone levels got selected for. So the testosterone level across the whole species went up and up and up until they all basically had too much testosterone. The heightened testosterone messes with the off switch for cortisol in their brain. So while they're in mating season and really excited, their system just gets flooded with it and never and never stops going into their body, basically. Mm. And cortisol is a stress hormone that I think has something to do with your fight or flight response mm -hmm. and adrenaline. So too much of it surging through your body is really stressful and bad for you. And by the end of mating season, after tons of 14-hour sessions of sex, male antikinists have stress poison blood and internal bleeding. They start losing their hair, they go blind, and they metabolize their own muscles so that they can keep running around and finding more females to mate with. And then at the end of all that, they all die. Like literally every single male antikinist dies after living for one single year from birth to mating season. I mean, right now, that doesn't sound too bad. Like, it sounds <laughs> bad for the individual, but it doesn't sound yeah. like it's like a species-wide, like, kill switch. No, but there is kind of a, like, a problem to their lifestyle, which is that they're extremely inflexible. Like, they, they can't respond to environmental stresses very well. So they are currently getting their asses kicked by climate change. Like, mm. I think a lot of species disappeared in the brush fires because they live in really small areas. And there's a new study from last year that showed that as temperatures have gotten warmer in Australia, they are not going into hibernation anymore. But there also aren't the bugs that they eat. So they're basically just like starving to death on mass or like will eventually in the very near future. So pour one out for the antikinus because I think they have like one of the worst lives I've ever heard of any animal having. <laughs> I die of horny is not great. It's not what you it's not what you want. But there are definitely these sort of like evolutionary roads that are just dead ends like you. Mm -hmm head down and it's like at the end of this process your species will go extinct but the evolutionary pressure is to continue going down the process and so once they get that far down the road they can't come back and then they go extinct and that's sort of like uh that is just a bad side effect of of natural selection i guess bad is a value judgment it is a a thing that can happen with natural selection it's a little glitch in the system yeah and so I now have to choose between Sari with scientists recently discovering marsupials once lived in the Arctic, which is amazing, and Sam with just like a stress-induced horny deaths of a <laughs> tiny, tiny, very cute little mouse marsupial. And I don't know if anyone will be shocked to hear that Sam is the winner of the episode uh, Sam hasn't won in a while, and so he's like, no. where's the horniest fact? <laughs> <laughs> where's the where's the weird sex fact? I know how to win, Hank, over. I don't usually like to besmirch myself by talking about carnal pleasure, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really locked in the victory with that, with that <laughs> fact. I didn't dare go to those steps. <laughs> All right, and that means it's time to ask the science couch. So we've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds, by which I mean a virtual couch that has not been a real couch in over a year now. It's from Ugh. at Matt Neo 27, who asks, do they have to keep their pouches clean? And if so, how do they clean them? This is a good question. I, I have seen a TikTok of a man who has a kangaroo and he's like, here's what a nice clean pouch looks like. And then he like yanks oh. it down and puts his cell phone in there. And I'm like, okay, no, that How seems, did you invasive. ask permission first? 
Yeah. Uh, he seemed to think that there were clean and dirty pouches so that they can definitely be dirty and they can definitely be clean, uh, according to this Australian I saw on a app. I will confirm that they do get dirty because babies are gross. There's just like a lot of yeah. like a lot of crud that comes off of babies. Are they pooping in there? Yeah, they're okay, pooping. Okay. They're they're peeing. They're just like shedding skin. Ugh. They're like they're, maybe they're puking. I don't know. Babies do a lot of like <laughs> ejection of of stuff. Yeah. So they they do need to clean their pouches, and they're actually two different strategies. So you might be able to guess one of them. There are pouches that face upward, like kangaroos. So babies have to climb up and then in. Mm. But there are also pouches that face downward, like koalas and wombats. They have pouches where they, if you just imagine like an upside down kangaroo pouch, they like crawl in from the bottom. (sighs) Why don't they just build a little tunnel inside of themselves? This is so ponderous. Yeah, if you can do the pouch either way, it feels like you should be able to figure out how to just connect it on the inside. But look, I'm not evolution. So things are hard. (laughs) So uh, kangaroos clean their pouches kind of like that man invasively did, except for instead of sticking a phone in there, they stick their own heads in there and they just lick it Uh, in classic mom behavior. It's like, oh, my baby made a mess. I'm just going to lick it. Put my head into my Balenciaga and (laughs) just lick it out. Yeah, I guess that's the the equivalent is if you like have your fanny pack and you just open it and like, ah, there are some crumbs down there and I'm just going to lick it. (laughs) Wait, what's a Balenciaga? It's a brand. It's oh, like I thought a it was some kind brand. of part of the body. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, kangaroo pouches, also known as Balenciaga. It's a beautiful word for them. <laughs> it, is. it is. Look, who's to say that like language is fluid? Can we call them Balenciagas from now <laughs> yeah. on? Yeah. And someday, Sari in the future will be like, the word Balenciaga for kangaroo pouch came from this podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's like upward pouches. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, excuse me, Balenciagas. Those are upward Balenciagas. Get cleaned just by licking. And then the the backward facing ones are a little bit trickier to figure out. We just haven't studied them as closely. Mm-hmm. I think also kangaroos just have really large Balenciagas, so uh, it's easy to watch them clean it as opposed to things that live underground. So for wombats, for example, Facing backwards is an advantage because when they dig with their front paws, they don't, like, kick dirt into their pouch and, like, suffocate their baby or just, like, accumulate dirt in there. Sure. But koalas are usually dry and crusty, but during breeding season, they, like, secrete some sort of, like, clear cleaning fluid that just, like, dissolves the grime. And I imagine it kind Mm. of, like an OxyClean commercial kind of, except it's just made from their own body Whoa. where they secrete something. And then all of a sudden, all the crusty stuff just washes away. And researchers, as of 2004, were trying to study and wash out koala pouches to see what was in that fluid and identified some proteins, but not any like key antimicrobial ones that they mm-hmm. found. But then in a more recent review paper, they... I don't know, apparently have been looking into other pouches in both wallabies and wombat pouches looking that into. are and, and have found <laughs> antimicrobial ones. But it, it seems like a pretty big question mark. There, hmm. There's some secretions involved to counter the baby gross secretions and maybe mimic some of that placental nutrient exchange, hmm. protein exchange that goes on in placental mammals, but just like within the pouch. 
You know, I always get really worried when scientists are like looking into fluids of animals because I, I, I'm, I'm afraid Gwyneth Paltrow is going to hear about it. And because <laughs> uh, like, the, you know, there's like royal jelly is like a special like the special secretion. And like and now there's like you can get royal jelly. It's very expensive and I don't know what it's supposed to do, but like it sounds really cool mm-hmm. and it like helps a bee become a queen bee. So like, I guess it's probably good for my nasal health. So and I'm I'm worried that like someone will find out about like the special secretion of koala pouches and be like I know what we can do turn this <laughs> turn this into a health drink. Why do I have to worry about this? I mean, you already had the idea, so you could do it first. It's then true. people have to worry about you, and I won't have to drink Coca Cola anymore. No, you can drink the koala goo, and your insides <laughs> we'll will be clean it. as a whistle. If you want to ask the Science Couch your questions, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at T.R. Anderson, at P.K. Lake Mama, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you like our show, you can help us out. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash scishowtangents. It's S-C-I-S-H-O-W tangents. You can become a patron and get access to things like a newsletter and bonus episodes. Did you hear? Bonus episodes. And also, if enough people sign up, then we won't have to be worried about whether or not our podcast is going to keep existing. Thank you, by the way, to everybody who signed up. It's been extremely wonderful to have you join us and support us through that thing. Second, you can leave a review wherever you listen. We've got over 900 reviews on iTunes now, so thank you very much. We'd love to get to 1,000. I'll do something dumb, like drink an entire bottle of tea, and then you'll see what kind of person I turn into (laughs) then. That helps us know what you like about the show and also helps other people know what you like about the show. Finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell tell people people about about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Devoki Chakravarty. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this, of course, without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Opossums are well known for playing dead when faced with a predator. And if they're flopping over and staring lifelessly weren't enough to sell the ruse, they also secrete a smelly, greenish-colored mucus from their anal glands to smell extra dead. Cool. Put it in my new health drink. Yeah, mix it. It's a mix-in. Yeah. Maybe it tastes good, kind of like beaver anal gland secretion. Right. Yeah, mix it, with, mix it with some gin. And it's called, mm-hmm. it's called a Virginia Creeper if you, if you mix opossum butt stink with gin. It looks like you're looking this up. You're not, are you? This isn't real? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Who knows what you did in Florida, Hank? Yeah. (laughs) You could convince you, you know, it's what the teens in Florida used to drink.